Good morning, St. Paul's. Our first reading is from 1 Peter chapter 9, verse 3 to 9. It can be found in page, on page 1886 in your pew Bibles. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have had come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our second reading is from John chapter 20, verse 19 through 31, on page 1686 in the Pew Bibles. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by, le- by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Lord, speak to us, for your servants are listening. Unstop our ears, open our eyes, allow our hearts to receive all that you would give us. For you are a good and generous God. Lord, may all that we say, may our words and our thoughts together honor and glorify you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. God's people said. One of my earliest childhood memories is of being afraid. Sitting in my parents' bed, I think in my mind I had turned that bed into a pirate ship or something. I was four or five years old, and I was watching on their little television in their bedroom. Uh, a VHS recording of a Peter, Paul, and Mary concert from PBS. Where I grew up, we didn't have television, so, but my grandparents had one of these newfangled things called a satellite dish. Prime Star TV, I think, was the brand. And so we'd recorded this, and I'd watch it again and again and again and again and again. Well, I'm on that bed one day, I'm watching this. Peter, Paul, and Mary are singing that John Denver hit Leaving on a Jet Plane. How many of you know that song? A few of you do. And I had this, and I can still feel it. Isn't it incredible how even maybe some of you can go back in your mind to when you were four or five years old, and you, you can just get a feeling or a smell or, 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 or some sense of a memory that far back. And when I think of it, all I remember is this wave of fear coming over me because I thought my mom was going to leave on an airplane. So I just remember being overcome with, with fear. Well, after m- many hugs and kisses and assurances that she wasn't going to leave me on a jet plane, I, I became fine. And, and I, I still love Peter, Paul, and Mary. And I love John Denver and all those songs. But that's probably my earliest memory. It's just that, that feeling of fear crashing into me like a wave. Fear seems to mark the human condition, doesn't it? How many of you have felt fear in your life? (laughs) We've all felt it, haven't we? Now maybe it's fear over something that looking back was fairly innocuous. Yeah, you know, four and five year old kids sometimes get afraid of things that as Adults, we, we know that it's nothing for them really to fear, but it's hard to tell a four or five-year-old that, isn't it, in the moment? Those of you who have kids probably know that. And then as we get older and as we grow up and as we experience life, we find that there really are some things to fear. There are things that cause us to fear that are significant. Maybe a health crisis or the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one or just things in life turning out in ways we maybe never would have expected and and, and a response can be fear we know what fear is like don't we imagine if you will those disciples in that upper room on the night of Easter they're afraid And by 
human reasoning, they have good reason to be afraid, don't they? Their teacher, their rabbi, their master, their Lord, his body's gone. There's rumors that Mary maybe saw him. Peter and James went to the tomb, right? They found it empty. They ran back. Now, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, what do you think might happen to you? This Jesus' body is gone. If you are one of the leading political or religious authorities, who might you talk to? Those who were closest to him. They're afraid. Perhaps they're afraid for another reason. If you were to read any of the uh, uh, ancient histories or even ancient Greco-Roman myths and stories, when there is a hero who's betrayed by his friends and that hero comes back, what does that hero often bring with him? Revenge. Vengeance. Meeting upon the people who betrayed him consequences. And so just maybe those disciples are afraid not just of the Jewish religious leaders, but maybe a little afraid that if this Jesus comes back to them, what might he say or do? They're afraid, aren't they? They've locked the door. They've bolted it to keep the objects of their fear at bay. And who walks through the door? But Jesus. No locked door of fear keeps the risen Christ out. And that's some good news for us. He comes in to meet those disciples and Jesus does two things. And he does this elsewhere in the gospel accounts in his post-resurrection appearances. And he does two things that are not arbitrary. They're done on purpose. The first thing Jesus does is what? Shows them his wounds. What are Jesus' wounds but a reminder of our sin that put him on that cross? That's what the wounds of Jesus are. A visible, tangible, eternal reminder of the human condition. And lest we sit here and think that we are any different than those individuals 2,000 years ago who put Jesus on the cross, we delude ourselves. In his great book, The Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky, the great Russian novelist, talks about Jesus returning to, to his day, modern day Russia, and guess what happened? They killed him. Just like in 2,000 years ago in the Galilean area. You see, because Jesus does something. Jesus exposes us for who we are. And we see in the pages of Scripture that when sin is brought into the light, Some people are desperate to do whatever they can to cover it up and to keep it in the darkness. And Jesus' wounds are an eternal reminder of the human condition across time and space that we tend to love darkness rather than light. 
that we would rather stay captive to our sin than enter into the new life that Jesus wants to bring us. That fear is often stronger than the love of God. Jesus' wounds remind us of that. He shows his wounds to remind his disciples this. Don't forget what you did to me. But it doesn't end there, does it? Jesus does one other thing. He shows his wounds, which are a reminder of what we have done to him. And he also says, peace. Peace. Now that's so much more than just, you know, peace. Have a good day. Peace. Jesus is talking about shalom, which is blessing and peace to flood one's entire being, to touch on everything about them. It's more than just a a state of calm. But it is this notion of well-being and mercy that can only come from God, that dries up fear, that replaces sin with God's grace. Jesus reminds the disciples of what they did to him. And that's biblical, isn't it? Think of Peter's sermon in the book of Acts. The Lord of life came and what? We killed him. We, us, all of us. The wounds remind us of that, but they also remind us that the one who bears the wounds offers nothing even to the people who put him on that cross offers nothing but peace and shalom. And then Thomas comes into the story. Now, how many of you recognize this picture? This is the famous painter Caravaggio of Thomas. And look, he's not just, all right, let me feel the wound. He's inspecting it, isn't he? He's examining the wound of Jesus. He's looking closely. And lest lest we sort of heap derision upon Thomas as Christians throughout the centuries have been wont to do, I would remind you this about Thomas. All Thomas asks for is what the other disciples got. Nothing more. When Jesus comes to the disciples in the upper room and Thomas isn't there, Jesus shows them his hands and his side and Thomas just says, I would like that too. And wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want proof? Wouldn't we want to see? And Jesus shows up just for Thomas a second time. Doesn't condemn him. Shows him the wounds. Shows him the reminder of what Thomas did to him and says, peace, peace, Thomas. Maybe you're like Thomas. Maybe you've got some doubts that you're holding on to. Maybe, maybe you want proof just like he did. Well, you know what this story tells me? That if any of us truly want to meet the risen Lord, he will show up. He will show himself to us. Are we ready to see him and receive him when he does? 
Or is our fear attempting to keep the Lord of life at bay? You see, friends, when Jesus shows up, every post-resurrection appearance, there's something unsettling about him. As I mentioned last week, there's something different about the risen Lord. He's not immediately recognized, is he? Mary doesn't immediately recognize him in the garden. We see in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, the disciples walk with him for miles and they don't know who he is. Jesus comes along the seashore in John 21 as the disciples are fishing and talks to them and they don't know it's him. There's something different about the risen Christ. And yet he comes through the locked doors of fear. We have in this scripture an incredible image of what all of us at some point in our lives do. The disciples literally locked themselves away and how often do we erect barriers because of fear To keep out the only one who can give us peace. Friends, giving ourselves to the risen Lord is risky business. It's so easy to cheapen discipleship. To pretend as if following Jesus, the one who bears the wounds and offers us peace is an easy endeavor that it's free of hardship that we have all our questions answered the moment we say yes none of that is true there are times where you and me are still held captive by fear where we lock ourselves away where where we think that maybe because of things that we've done in our lives or things that have been done to us, that there's no way we can receive the shalom that Christ wants to bring us. Well, friends, Christ's first post-resurrection endeavor is to go to the very ones who killed him and to offer peace. Jesus does that, then there's hope for you and for me. That there's nothing, there's a reason Paul can say something in Romans chapter 8, that there's nothing in all of creation, neither life nor death, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Our own fears can't do that. The things that have been done to us can't do that. The things we do ourselves, cannot separate us from the one who loves us so much he will come right through our fear and greet us with peace. We live in a fearful age, don't we? There's fear all around us. It it comes careening at us through our TV screens and through the news and in conversation and in interpersonal relationships. Fear, fear, fear all around us. 
And friends, the temptation, the human inclination is to get so swept up in that. We forget that we follow someone who comes right through the fear and says, peace, peace, shalom. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky dream or a dirty trick. He actually wants to and can give it to us. Shalom. A deep abiding peace that the world cannot give. That goes beyond situation and circumstance and goes right to the heart. The risen Christ can give each one of us that. He can, we can exchange our fear for peace. Want that peace today? Do you want only the peace that the risen Christ can give? Remember, remember the wounds. Remember what put him on that cross. It was you and it was me. But also remember this he doesn't hold it against us. He loves us anyway. He came, he rose to give us his shalom. And it's available today for you and for me. Thanks be to God. Amen.